Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean and Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin. I'm a certified health coach, trainer, and author. And this podcast is for middle-aged men and women looking to optimize their health and get their bodies back to what it once was 10 to 15 years ago. I will give you simple, actionable items to get long-term sustainable results. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, Brian Grin here with the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast, and I am excited to bring you my part one of a two-part series that's going to just go through and highlight some of the interviews that I had over the past year. I started the Get Lean podcast in November of 2020. So yeah, it's been about a year. Time flies. And I've met so many great people um, all over the world. And yeah, it's about it's our one-year anniversary. It's also our 100th episode. So really stoked to bring you some of the, the great nuggets of advice from some of my interviews that were done. It was very difficult to pick out uh, which ones to bring to you, but I tried to uh, mix it up. And we got interviews with Brad Kearns, Al Russ, Dr. Ted Naiman, uh, Dr. John Jaquish, uh, Dr. Ken Berry, uh, just to name a few. So um, yeah, it's, you know, like, like, like anything else, it's good to hear things more than once. And uh, I wanted to sort of take a breather, look back at a great year of podcasting. And I really, I really have enjoyed it. And I look forward to continuing the journey. And hopefully you have as well. And I appreciate you for listening. So enjoy part one of a bit of a summary of what, what we've done over the past year. So uh, thanks so much and enjoy. All right. Well, here is my interview with Dr. John Jaquish. He's the inventor of the X3. And we discuss why cardio is a waste of time and how it makes you actually hold on to fat as opposed to burn it. So I wanted to put this piece on because he touches on this in his book as well. And I thought it would be informative to hear it from himself. So this was episode 12 with Dr. John Jaquish. Enjoy. Let's talk. Well, let's hit on cardio. I, I will say this. I've never been a big cardio fan. Um, so I've never been a big runner. I, you, I, you, if I do stuff, that's just maybe a, uh, a little different. I'll, I've done Muay Thai for years and years and years, which I love because I'm just not a runner. Um, mm. maybe talk about a little bit about, uh, you know, I know you mentioned your book, uh, regarding cardio and you know, how it stimulates cortisol and things like that. And how, you know, for most people, let's just say chronic cardio, it, um, uh, is a waste of time, especially if you want to have fat loss. So if you want to be a great runner, you got to run. Uh -huh. But that's not why most people do cardio. They do cardio because they think they're going to lose weight from lose it. Weight. They're going to drop body fat. And it is the opposite of what is happening. Your body is actually preserving your body fat and sacrificing muscle when you do cardio. So you actually lose muscle and you protect your body fat. So you stay as fat as possible, as long as possible. Who wants that? I mean, like that, that's not the, you know, like, and there's 40 years of research. Like if you talk to any sports scientist, they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Like cardio, don't do that. Right. But then, you know, we'll, we'll say, well, why does the fitness industry recommended stone they'll start laughing and they'll be like oh the fitness industry is just because they want to sell treadmills <laughs> they want to sell treadmills. the equipment manufacturers want to sell treadmills 
the gyms just want to give people what they think they want. Like right. if you go to sign up at a gym and they go, we do it differently because we want you to get results and everything you thought was the right thing for fitness isn't, nobody would sign up at that gym because people aren't there to learn. Right. They're there to do something, which they already, they have a preconceived idea. So it's really hard to like break that model in people's heads and say, no, well, everything you've been told is wrong. Uh, it's just, it's just, it's tough selling. Yeah. And I always say, would you rather look like, like a marathon runner or, or like, you know, the guys that are doing the 40 yard dash, you know, mm -hmm. like body wise, it's not even, a, you know, right. Not right. Even close. And, and most people don't even, they don't even have an idea. They think, oh no, runners have beautiful bodies. And then you tell them Google marathon runner <laughs> hit, and, and hit Google images. Yeah. It's just, everyone looks like, like they're yeah, like mal they're, malnourished. All right. Well, this was a highlight from one of my first interviews with Brad Kearns, uh, actually my second overall interview for the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. And we touch on in this short clip, the advantages of cold therapy, uh, all the benefits around it, how it's a positive hormetic stressor for the body, and also contrast therapy and how you can go from hot to cold. And this can be beneficial as well. So Brad is a, was a great guest. I actually had him on twice. And he's a New York Times bestseller, always pushing himself with uh, track and field. And he was a former number three ranked professional triathlete. So lots of great tips in the whole episode. But I just want to give you this short little highlight with myself and Brad Kearns. Enjoy. It's, it's something special. Um, it's known that the, uh, the greatest protection from EMF is immersed in a body of water. So right. you got that going for you. Right, right. Uh, but I also like to do my uh, cold exposure in Lake Tahoe in the season, which is, uh, you know, we're recording this in November. So for the next six months, the lake will count as cold therapy. In the summer, it's not cold enough for me to count it. So I, I make it a swim. And by the time I'm swimming for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, I'm getting a little chilly in the water in the mid 60s. But when you can get that, you know, brief immersion and cold uh, conducts, uh, it, it dissipates uh, body heat 25 times uh, faster than air. So that's why the cryotherapy chamber is, has to be like minus 200 and something degrees. Uh, but the, the water is much more uh, efficient for something like this cold exposure. And again, you're not trying to uh, put yourself into uh, discomfort or into distress, you're just getting a therapeutic exposure to cold and your body responds with this tremendous hormonal, it's a, called a hormetic stressor. And it's kind of the thing that we're missing out on these days in modern life because we're, everything's so comfortable and convenient. And, you know, fasting is, a, is another hormetic stressor where you're putting your body under the stress of starving your cells of energy, forcing them to, you know, manufacture or uh, gain energy internally through burning body fat or making ketones. Um, a high intensity workout is also another form of stress that gives a positive net benefit. And so that's what the, uh, the cold exposure category uh, qualifies as well. Same with sauna and the benefits of doing uh, hot therapy and cold therapy are quite similar. You might've heard of these heat shock proteins they talk about when you get in the sauna and it has all these immune boosting, cognitive boosting, fat burning benefits. And the same thing uh, happens when you're exposing to cold. I actually have the chest freezer and I have a portable sauna uh, in my yard so I can do both. And for some reason, people that come over, they want to do the sauna more so than jump in the cold tub. I don't know why. 
why, because they're both really health, health boosting, but it's also kind of fun to do back and forth contrast therapy, they call it. And just what you're doing is putting your body under, you know, a mild and short duration form of stress. And that's where you get the positive health benefits. So if I were to try to sit in the cold tub for an hour, they would probably have to pull me out and take me to the emergency room, right? So it's stupid to, to do things that are extreme and too stressful. Same with staying in the sauna for too long, but you're kind of finding that sweet spot where you're putting the body under a bit of stress and the body responds, just like lifting a weight or sprinting or anything else. All right, here was a little bit of a highlight for my interview with William Schufelt. William is an actor. He was a Power Ranger and a rapper, an author, a co-author of The PE Diet with Dr. Ted Naiman, also had a 21-day carnivore shred challenge. And uh, William was a great guest. This was episode six. And I actually highlighted his tip about getting your body back to what it once was. And he touched on intermittent fasting, training, and eating correctly, along with mindset and goals. So enjoy my quick tidbit with William Schufelt. I think you'll get a lot out of it. So if, if you're middle-aged, let's say you're in your uh, 40s, 50s, and you want to get your body and your mindset back to where it was, I would, I would give like a few really, really simple recommendations. So the first one would be implement some intermittent fasting, implement some style of training that you can do on a daily basis. You don't have to be going crazy on a daily basis, but there's something mentally about kind of checking in with that training uh, every single day. It's going to keep your body limber. It's going to help with mobility. And if you're training daily, then you'll have time kind of for all the different aspects you need, the strength training, the stretching, the, you know, if you want to do some cardio core work. Um, so I like that a daily training practice, a daily fasting pra uh, practice, and then a style of eating similar to what we talked about. If you can base it around high quality animal proteins, um, I, I always kind of prefer red meat, pasture raised eggs, maybe some wild caught seafood, maybe some uh, grass fed dairy. If you can base your diet around that, and then on top of that, if you want to add in a few greens, if you want to add in some berries, if you want to add in a little bit of fruit, that, that's fantastic. Um, so those three things, and I would really say in terms of eating, don't try to lose all the fat at once. Don't try to set like a really crazy calorie deficit. You're going to kind of burn out mentally and physically. Just allow yourself to eat to satiety with those foods. If you're doing that and training and doing some fasting, um, you're going to start to trend in the right direction. And then the last thing mindset wise, Ooh, it's a toss up, but I would, I would say get a good book on goal setting. Um, one that I would highly, highly recommend is by a lady named Honoré Cordaire and it's called, um, vision to reality short term. I think it's how short term massive action leads to long term maximum results. And it's just an excellent, excellent book on quarterly setting quarterly goals that basically her hypothesis is that you can achieve your yearly goals many times within about 100 days. If you're actually focused on it and you're mm -hmm. taking a lot of short-term massive action, um, these, these yearly goals, sometimes a year is so far out that mm -hmm. you'll see this happen with a lot of people in, in October. <laughs> they start to realize, holy crap, I'm not going to hit my yearly goals. Mm -hmm. And they might try to sprint towards the finish line, but they could have done that in January just as, just as well. So right. I think that's a fantastic book. Um, that lose 20 pounds this year goal 
you could probably do it in a hundred days if you're focused on what you're doing. Um, you know, that, uh, finally take a course in whatever skill it happens to be. You can probably do it in one quarter. So I think that book is fantastic to just kind of get you on track and get that feed, uh, get that feeling of momentum, of speed, of motivation, of getting zoned in, getting lasered in, because when your motivation's on track and when you've got really clear goals, it, it just flips a switch in your mind. You feel unstoppable. You feel ready to go. You feel ready to take on these different challenges. Um, and then you combine that with a great, you know, exercise program, a great diet program, like you're in fighting shape. So th those would be my best recommendations. All right. The next episode we're going to highlight is episode 14 with Dr. Gary Schliffer. He's a board certified internal medicine physician specializing in preventative care, nutrition, and anti-aging medicine. And he's the founder of Evolve Healthcare, and that's out in LA. And he also, um, with Brian Sanders, um, teach people to live optimally through a sapien lifestyle. And what we highlight in this overview is red meat bad for you. We talk all about cholesterol. And at the end, we touch on fiber and plants. So this one's a good one. And I know you'll get a lot of info from it. So enjoy. Thanks so much. And, you know, a common question is, well, is, you know, red meat bad for you? Uh, mm. what, what would you say to a client that said that would ask you that question? Um, so the first thing I say when we start talking about food, especially if it's someone who I think is really indoctrinated into that idea, is that you're not going to like what I have to tell you. Because it's alarming and and scary to hear from a doctor that hey what you've been told for the last 30 40 years are just is just wrong um but that's the truth and, and i started off like, like that because you you have to accept and embrace that or at least open your mind to the possibility that the nutrition recommendations as they stand are wrong i uh I then gauge based on the person. So we can take the evidence-based route and start talking about the epidemiological research that was done uh, on, on meat in general and, and red meat specifically and dispel the, the efficacy of that research. And, and then you have to have someone who's willing to think about an epidemiological study versus like an observational study or a randomized control study, right? That's not always the best route. Then we can talk about saturation fat and cholesterol and the diet heart hypothesis and the history of how that came to be mm -hmm. and dispel that myth, which was, you know, which is basically a history lesson. And I don't know if we want to get into all that, but basically, you know, there was a battle of wits to, you know, and, and there was uh, some that argued that cholesterol and fat caused heart disease because heart disease was this big trigger in, in the fifties and sixties. Um, and, and we can talk about how over the last decade, more and more research is showing that there is no association with any kind of disease process when it comes to eating red meat, and then talk about all this new, very exciting research, talking about the benefits and essential, the essentialness of, uh, cholesterol and saturated fat in your diet to be healthy. 
Then we can talk about physiology and the fact that your brain is made of cholesterol and saturated fat and your skin and that every hormone in your body is built around a cholesterol backbone and that to vilify cholesterol and to presume that eating cholesterol drives cholesterol into your arteries and plaques is just simple thinking that has not been justified by research. Um, And then you can take the ancestral argument and say that, well, you cannot survive on plant food alone. And if you look at someone in the bush and the jungle, someone in a survival situation, what are, what, what are the components of life that it comes down to water, some salt and which can be a plant source and then meat, but specifically fat, Mm. right? So you can't survive in just pure protein. You need fat. So when you look at survivalists and people that are like really living off the land, it's fat that is like the number one cherished commodity. So, so there's all of these different angles and it just depends, I think on the person and why it's such a nuanced conversation. And I, I generally don't go down the, you know, well, meat, meat was vilified by the Seventh-day Adventist church. And that was very much involved in our, you know, the development of our food recommendations. And that really, this is a religious argument that is anchored in all sorts of craziness. Um, And by the way, none of this is a conspiracy because you could go on Wikipedia and look up the Seventh-day Adventist church and how they were involved in driving red meat out of our diet. Mm -hmm. It's so many layers, right? So, I think the first step for anyone listening is to accept that the recommendations are bad and that that myth, the red meat myth is just that the fiber myth is just a myth. Eating all this fiber is not good for anyone. Um, That a plant-based diet or plants, fruits and vegetables are so healthy for you. That's a myth guys. Like, I'm sorry. And that's a tougher one for people to swallow. People still struggle with even people in our space struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I know people that recommend eating red meat and then still talk about eating the rainbow. And I'm like, so you have a rainbow when you're a hunter gatherer, you just had a rainbow fruits and vegetables in your backyard. You had a backyard. Like, what are you talking about? This is all driven by um, modern agricultural practices. So, you know, I think the fun part for me is to try to get someone's brain, get their perspective to that moment where we discovered agriculture, we started using agriculture and drive their brain to the fact that we subsisted and exist and thrived and dominated the planet for such a long time without agriculture. And and what did that look like? And, And that's a fun place, I think, to start because I don't think you can, you can ignore that it's it's pretty it's just it's common knowledge i mean again if you don't believe in evolution i suppose then that's a whole different conversation but i've never faced that issue Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the different angles i take Mm -hmm. all right next is episode 42 and my interview was with author and podcast host jen stevens and she's the author of delay don't deny feast without fear and fast feast repeat I think she has another book coming out as well. So I'm going to probably get her back on the podcast, but I really like the way she talks about having a clean fast. As you know, we talk a lot about fasting on my podcast and I thought this would be pretty relevant. So she goes into what her definition of the clean fast is and why. So enjoy and thanks so much. I was looking a little bit through your website and you talk a lot about a clean fast. Right. Um, 
why don't we talk a little bit about, because uh, people are like, oh, can I have this? Can I have that? I just did a podcast on, you know, does coffee break a fast? And I know you're having your coffee right here. I am. <laughs> well, how would you, how would you describe a clean fast? Well, I have um, actually two chapters on this in Fast Feast Repeat, because that's how important it is. The first one is, you know, why we fast clean. And I talk about, we have three fasting goals and I'll get into that. Mm-hmm. And then the second clean fasting chapter is, you know, what you can have during the fast and why. So I'll answer that part first what you can have during the fast, plain water, black coffee, nothing added, plain tea. And I'm not talking about, you know, those fancy herbal teas that are like, you know, apple cinnamon delight, avoid those. You don't want anything that tastes like food or sweet sweetness or fruity. Um, Sparkling water is fine as long as it's not flavored. So stick to very basic things like that. Black coffee, plain tea, plain water, plain sparkling water. Now let's talk about why we have three fasting goals. And when you know what the fasting goals are, you can understand why it's important to fast clean. The first one is you want to keep your insulin low. You know, we talked about hyperinsulinemia is a problem. You know, insulin is not bad. We have to have it. You don't want to have high levels of circulating insulin all the time. It's linked to so many negative health outcomes. I didn't even really realize how many until when I was writing Fast Feast Repeat, I came across a research paper on hyperinsulinemia and it listed all the things that were associated with, with having chronic high levels of insulin. So this is so important for all of us. Um, So you want to avoid anything that is going to trick your body into thinking food is coming. So for example, diet sodas, there's zero calorie. So we are like, well, it's zero calories. Nothing's happening. It has a zero effect. Well, it might have zero caloric effect, but it has effects in the body because you, you taste it, your brain says, ooh, sweetness is coming in. Our brains don't understand zero calorie sweeteners. Right. Our brains have developed with when you're eating something sweet, it's honey or it's an apple or it's an orange. And so you've got, you know, sugary sweetness coming in. And so we have the cephalic phase insulin response and our pancreas pumps out some insulin to deal with this hit of sugar that your body knows is coming in, except that it's not because you're having, you know, something with zero calories. So that leads to some some metabolic confusion and it keeps your insulin high. Mm -hmm. And if you keep that insulin high, you eventually will develop insulin resistance. All sorts of problems come along with that. So that's why we avoid anything food flavored. Um, You know, even something like apple cider vinegar, you know, I've experimented with that. My body thinks the food's coming in when I get a mug of hot water and put some apple cider vinegar in it that that's my body's like, whoop, we're having apple cider vinegar. This is delicious. So you want to avoid anything that is delicious and food-like during the fast. Um, Keep your insulin low. Um, The second fasting goal is we want to tap into our stored fat for fuel. So we do that by not adding fat into our coffee cup. Don't put in the butter, the MCT oil, because that's a huge source of energy you know, yes, if you take exogenous ketones or chug MCT oil, your body will, will either have the ketones from the exogenous ketones or make ketones out of the MCT oil. But what it's not doing is making them from your stored fat. So our goal is not to have ketones and our goal is to make them. So you only make them when you have to tap into your own fat stores for fuel. It's really amazing. I went through all that too, the, you know, putting stuff in my coffee, all the oils, the butters, whatever you re- it really does. You know, at first it might feel satisfying, but over time it makes you hungrier. So 
I, I challenge everybody to try without it. You know, the third fasting goal is we want to have increased autophagy. Autophagy is our body's upcycling and recycling um, system. I mean, it happens yeah. naturally, but it happens when you're not digesting and eating. So, you know, if you're the person who puts your feet on the floor and starts eating and drinking all day long, like we've been trained to do in modern society, your body never has time to rest and clean and repair and autophagy, you know, isn't, isn't really happening. So we want to fast and have our bodies have time to, you know, we're not digesting, we're not eating. So our bodies have time to go in and rummage around and clean things up. Mm -hmm. Well, we do that by not taking in protein during the fast. So bone broth, for example, would not be something you would want to have. You know, it sounds fun, a bone broth fast, right? We've heard of them, but you're not actually fasting. That's a source of nutrients. It's a source of protein and your body is not going to need to rummage around, you know, in the, for the junkie proteins when you're taking in a source yourself. So avoid things like that. All right. The next episode I'm going to highlight is episode 24 with Dr. Ken Berry. He's a family physician in Camden, Tennessee. He also is the author of the best-selling book, Lies My Doctor Told Me. And in this highlight, we discuss his one tip to get your body back to what it once was. And he talks all about keto and carnivore and how it could really jumpstart your health. So enjoy this one. And thanks so much. What, what one tip would you give someone like a middle-aged individual that maybe they're in their forties and fifties and you know, they've lost it a little bit, right? They want to get their body back to what it once was maybe 10, 15 years ago. What one tip would you give to them? Yeah. The, the one thing I would say to them is that I was in your shoes. Hundreds of thousands of people were in your shoes and they now no longer live like that. And with, with those complications, there is hope there. And, and the hope does not lie in a handful of prescription medications or a handful of supplements either. The hope lies in eating a proper human diet. When I first started recommending keto years ago to my patients, it was as a temporary weight loss hack. I didn't, I didn't think it was helpful for anything else. I didn't think it would maybe not even safe for long-term, but now through, through the years of study, I have come to the conclusion that a very low carbohydrate diet full of fatty meat, and I think there's a spectrum. It can be low carb, it can be keto, ketovore, carnivore, it can be strict carnivore or, or you know, lazy carnivore, whatever. <laughs> that spectrum is the proper human diet for all human beings on this planet of any age with any medical condition whatsoever. Uh, there, there is, you, and I think it's quickly becoming inarguable, but there's hope for you. You don't have to be morbidly obese the rest of your life. You don't have to have this list of chronic medical problems that keep getting worse. You don't have to keep taking more and more and more prescription medication. You, there is hope and the hope is in your hands. There's no gatekeeper. That's the other beautiful thing I love about this is you don't even have to go to a doctor. To, to tap into this super powerful, super ancient healing technology. It's, it, your body's already got it built in. Now all you've got to do is just feed it the proper food and things will start to go back to normal. Inflammation will start to decrease. Arthritis that you thought you were crippled with for the rest of your life will start to almost magically get less severe. 
bowel complaints, skin complaints, uh, mental health. We've had mm-hmm. so many thousand people say, as long as I eat keto or carnivore, my OCD is, it, it literally doesn't bother me. My depression, my anxiety, my ADD, just so much better when I eat what Dr. Barry calls a proper human diet. And so the question then becomes, are all these diseases, these epidemics of chronic diseases, are they just the, are they the, are they the inheritance of modern humans? Is that's just what we're stuck with? Or are they being induced and produced by the diet we're being told to eat? All right. Well, here's a short highlight from episode four and my interview with Al Russ. She is a best-selling author and speaker and coach. And she wrote the book, The Paleothyroid Solution, along with Confident as F-U-C-K, and also has a manifestation journal. And in this short highlight, we talk about what her take on confidence is and how important it is anywhere you are, obviously in work, in the bedroom, um, and in getting healthy. So I thought this was a relevant short highlight from the interview that you could take and apply it to your life. So thanks so much and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Confidence is not an anchored, fixed quality within you. It is the sum of the actions you think and the thoughts that, sorry, it's the sum of the thoughts you think and the actions you take. So because everybody has the choice to change the thoughts, thoughts and change their actions, everybody has access to this. It, it has to be built from within, but you have the ability to increase your confidence. And the reason you want it is because you don't get what you want in life without it. You have to speak up at every turn. I don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're going to have to go talk to some shitty mom at the PTA meeting and, or stand up to a teacher or speak up for your kid. Um, in business, everywhere, self-promotion, you know, um, half the reason there's hundreds of interviews of me out there is because when I first wrote my book, I pounded the pavement and went out there and pimped myself out and sold myself. You, Mm -hmm. we are in a world of self-promotion. No one's really going to do it for you unless you hire a PR firm. So, so at the end of the day, you need confidence at every level. Um, It's not about being a public speaker or some badass. Some of the quietest people are the most confident people I've ever met. So this is not about being a talkative extrovert. But it is about feeling good in your body and your mind and who you are everywhere you go. And that you have, if I had to define confidence as anything, I'd say it's a general sense that you will prevail either at a specific activity or in life in general. All right. The next episode I want to highlight is episode 34 with Drew Manning. And he is a New York Times bestselling author of Fit to Fat to Fit. And he, if you, if you remember, he was the trainer who put on a bunch of weight and then lost it and put it on again and went and lost it again. I think he did it twice. So he discusses the importance of mindset and sort of the mental emotional side of, you know, putting on this weight and then being able or trying to lose it again. And I think it's something that, you know, I think everyone has to have reasons why and sort of tap into that mental emotional part if they really want to lose the weight it's 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 just as important as you know the working out and the eating correctly and things like that and so i thought this would be relevant and drew manning does a good job of talking about that so enjoy this time around getting in the shape what would you say um what would you say, you, you know, you said you learned stuff through the last 10 years that you're going to apply. What were some of the things that you learned and how are you going to apply them? 
Uh, that's a good question. So <clears throat> ever since my first journey of fit to fit to fit, you know, the biggest lessons I learned was how much of transformation is mental and emotional. And so as someone in the fitness industry, and which is an industry that focuses a lot on diet, exercise, like the, the new supplement, the new workout program, the new this or that, like, right. Yes, that is part of of, of uh, as part of the puzzle that people have to do to transform their body. Right. I'm more focused on the mental, emotional transformation first, because I feel like if people can transform from within and shift their perception of what success looks like in this industry, then the physical stuff becomes easier, right? Mm -hmm. Over time, if you can do that. But the problem is that you kind of have to dig deep to figure out what your demons are. What are your things that are holding you back from living a healthy lifestyle? Is it self-worth? Is it self-sabotage? Is it maybe childhood trauma that you haven't really released yet and you tend because what happens is for most people we gravitate towards food uh, or other substances to distract us from dealing with those emotional that emotional pain mm -hmm. and so a lot of people gravitate towards food because it's legal it's easy to buy it's cheap it tastes really good and that becomes their vice other people might gravitate towards alcohol or drugs or porn or sex or movies tv shows social media we live in a world of these distractions and we program our brain from a very young age, instead of dealing with the emotional stuff, that's really hard. Mm -hmm. We just distract ourselves and numb ourselves with these substances over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Whenever we feel that that stress come up or those triggers come up emotionally to where we never deal with that. And then when we go and try and, all right, I'm going to cut, I'm never getting sugar again. I'm going to work out every single day. We haven't really, <laughs> we haven't really dealt with the stuff on the inside because what's going to happen is we're going to have to use our willpower every single time to try and live a healthy lifestyle. And eventually you're going to get burnt out unless you're, you know, um, you know, Jocko Willink or uh, David Goggins or something like that, <laughs> you know, yeah. those are like the one percenters of the world. But most people after a few times that they're like, this is too hard. And so for me, I like to help and uh, you know, help people through those mental and emotional issues and then shifting their perception and get people to focus on the process because they're worth it because they love themselves enough to treat their bodies kindly instead of hating yourself to skinny or hating yourself to get ripped or shredded. And I think that's the problem that people have is like, I hate the way I look. I want to look like that. So I'm going to beat myself up until I look that way. And once I look that way, then all my problems will go away. Right. And that's a big myth. Just like people chasing after money. Once I have this much money, right. then all my problems will go away. And it's a very similar thing where if you haven't learned how to be fulfilled and happy with where you're at now, even if you get the body, there might be a temporary sense of happiness or fulfillment, but I promise you it's not going to last. And so you have to eventually do the work, which is really hard work to let go of that, uh, those emotional challenges, whatever they are for you to learn how to be happy and fulfilled now, even though your body's not perfect, your life isn't perfect. You don't have the money you want, because if you can do that now, then along the journey of trying to get those things, you're not beating yourself up or, you know, saying you're a failure because you didn't get those things. Um, cause you're fulfilled with where you're at now and you're just continuing to work on a better version of yourself. And so it's a shift in perception mm. that I try and teach people how to do through my programs. And it takes some time for sure. But I think once people, once it clicks for them, then they're like, Oh, I get to exercise or I get to eat real food because it makes me feel good. And I feel better. I feel healthier when I eat these foods. And when I exercise, it feels good to my body to do hard things. And, um, and I'm just going to keep living this lifestyle because it feels good not in hopes that I'll get these results, which will then change my life. No, I love that. And it's something that probably doesn't get talked enough about, right? We're always talking about, oh, what should you eat? 
when should you eat? And I, you know, I, I'm victim of that too, right? Like you just talk about those things because it's sort of easy and it's maybe even a little, you know, it's like surface level things, yeah. but, but really it comes down to is you sort of, you have to address the emotional and, you know, sort of the mental side of being in the right place in order to, to get where you want to go. If you don't get into that place or at least have, like you mentioned, like a, a true real reason why you're doing this, what's driving you, then all that other stuff doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, very true. All right. Now I'm going to highlight my interview with Dr. Ted Naiman. This was episode number 10. And Dr. Ted Naiman is a board certified medicine physician. He's co-authored the PE diet, and he's done a ton of personal research through his medical practice, focusing on the implementation of diet and exercise for health optimization. And one of the things that we talked about is micro workouts and this high frequency approach and how intensity is so important when you're doing this, but the volume throughout the week can really make a big difference. And I've actually found this out through my workouts as well is I've used to work out three, four days a week. I've actually increased that volume and done it for a less amount of time, about 20 minutes on average. So these micro workouts can be a big advantage. And I wanted to highlight this in my interview with Dr. Ted Naiman. So enjoy. Uh, the way I came up with this, so I, I realized that, you know, building muscle, you're, you're creating this functional tissue. It's an adaptation to a stress you put on your body. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, well, there's got to be an optimal frequency for this, right? And it's kind of like, it's sort of like calluses on your hands if you're digging ditches or um, pigmenting your skin if you're getting a tan, right? And then, you know, if you imagine that, you know, once uh, every two weeks you just laid in the sun for like six hours and then just blistered yourself head to toe and then just didn't go out in the sun for the next two weeks versus, you know, like 15 minutes a day, uh, you know, which is going to give you the better tan or if you're, or if you just dug a hundred ditches all day, once a month till your hands were like bleeding versus like, okay, one ditch every day. Right. Uh, it, it seems like these people who do stuff daily get some really solid um, muscle growth, you know, like your gymnasts and your power lifters and people who have high frequency of training uh, have excellent results. And I think that there's so many benefits to high frequency, <clears throat> uh, you know, first of all, there's the practicing the movement, right? So let's say I just work out once a week and I do my handstand pushups. I mean, the first year of doing that once a week, I'm going to struggle just with my form and what it feels like and the mind muscle connection and just getting the movement pattern down. But if I'm doing that every day or even twice a day, I'm really going to progress with my, my form and with my technique and with my mind muscle connection and with my ability to maximally engage the muscles. And so there are these neuromuscular benefits you get to a higher frequency, right? So I, so I love this high frequency approach. Um, I think intensity is the most important factor when it comes to resistance exercise. Like if you have some pink weights and you do a thousand curls a day for the rest of your life, your bicep circumference is never, ever going to increase, right? Ever at all. So, so intensity just has to be top. It has to be number one. I like high frequency and it makes sense to me if you're trying to get this functional adaptive 
uh, tissue buildup, you know what I mean? That's going to be basically an a-, a positive adaptation to, to stress. You, you want a, like a little bit on a really regular basis. And that's how I kind of came up with this like whole body daily or every other day yeah. um, with a very high intensity. It just, it feels natural to me. It makes a lot of sense to me. I see a lot more people going in this direction. It's a lot easier to do if you can do it at home with no equipment, because it's not realistic for most people to go to the gym, you know, every day or every other day and do a full body workout with all these, you know, the squat rack and the machines and the barbells and all this stuff. So I'm just trying to replicate that with body weight. Um, It takes the excuses out, right? (laughs) Yeah, it really does. And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, I mean, Hey, 10 minutes and you know, full body workout, you know, you really, because you know, the number one excuse is they don't have time. Well, <laughs> throw that out the door, you know? Right. And then in the book, we, we've, you know, we break it down into, there's just really these three basic movements you have to do with resistance and that's push, pull and legs. Right. And even that can be subdivided into little micro workouts that you can space out throughout the day. So like you could just drop to the floor right now and do a push routine that would take, you know, two minutes and just completely fry your pushing muscles. And then later, you know, when you're at the park or something, you can do your pulling uh, when you have something to hang from or pull on. And so we're just trying to just break exercise down into the absolute minimum effective dose. All right. Next is episode 44 with Dr. Sean Baker. He's an orthopedic surgeon world record holder, author of The Carnivore Diet, and CEO of MeetRx.com. And we discussed carbohydrates and what he believes is optimal for himself and for his clients. So we touch all about carbs and plants. And I thought, why not hear from Mr. Carnivore himself regarding this topic? So thanks so much and enjoy. At this point, you don't have any carbs, right? They don't play any role. Yeah, right now. I mean, no, I mean, I, like I said, I, and this is, I think, an inch, a pretty important sort of caveat to this. I don't actually think carbohydrate per se is bad for us. I don't think glucose per se is bad for us. If it was, our liver wouldn't make it. I mean, our liver makes glucose. I don't eat any, but my liver makes it. You know, I still have glucose. And as low as my glucose is, it never goes to zero. Uh, and when I'm exercising really hard, it's going to go up a little bit because my, my liver says, hey, your muscles are using more glucose. We're going to make more. And the liver has the capacity to kind of increase your liver output by about 1,500%, you know, while you're exercising intensely. Right. Um, I think that, uh, and so if I eat dairy, I'm going to get some carbohydrates. If I eat some eggs, there's going to be a small amount of carbohydrates. Um, meat generally doesn't have carbohydrates. You know, maybe liver might have a little bit, but so I'm not really concerned about that. Um, right. Now, there are foods that contain carbohydrates, mostly plant foods that also have compounds that are maybe irritating to people. You know, some people don't do well with lectin. Some people don't do well with oxalate. Some people don't do well with, you know, glyco, uh, you know, goit- goitrogens and so on and so forth. And so I think those are the problems for many people. And, I, and we, we, you know, most people, they don't acutely bother them, but I think in the chronic setting over time, over time, over time, we see maybe, maybe this insidious uh, development of chronic disease and maybe you know due to some sort of these vegetables that we think are healthy and maybe for some people certain vegetables just don't do it and we don't you know we don't want to recognize that or, or believe that that's a possibility but i see it every single day over and over again people 
you know, eating a clean diet of meat and a little bit of vegetables and they do better when they cut the vegetables out. So, you know, why is that? I mean, I can't explain any other reason other than they're perhaps irritating for certain people with certain conditions. All right. Well, there you have it. This was part one of a two-part series going over just a summary of what I've discussed over the last year. Obviously, it's tough to fit it all into one episode. We're going to do one more coming up. And uh, yeah, it's been a year of great interviews. Hope you enjoyed all the great tips from Brad, from Al, from William Schufelt, Dr. Ted Naiman, and beyond. And you can take those, help apply them in your life, and they help you live optimally. So again, it's not about being perfect and not taking every little tidbit that you hear from all these guests, because that'll just sort of drive you crazy. But pick a few things that work for you and that resonate, and it will definitely help you live more of an optimal healthy lifestyle. So thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.